This is episode 55 with Clay Hebert of crowdfundinghacks.com. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Crowdfunding Uncut. I'm your host, Kirsten Ross. And this week, we are bringing on a really special guest that, well, they are all special, but Clay Hebert from crowdfundinghacks.com. And yes, I have decided to bring on another crowdfunding specialist, but not just any crowdfunding specialist. This man has been in the game for the last four to five years. He's helped creators raise more than $50 million. And I wanted to bring him on for a different perspective because, as you know, if you've been following my work, I am very focused on the product campaigns, so physical products. But when you look at Clay's portfolio, he has done not only physical products, but cause-based, digital, um, and a lot of other, um, he, he does have a more well-rounded view of crowdfunding. And after a few members of my audience have asked me to go into more depth into the theater side or location-based campaigns, I wanted to, to offer that perspective because I don't like giving advice on something I haven't personally done. So today in this interview with Clay, we're going to be getting into some of the differences between the physical product campaigns. Uh, what if you're running a campaign to raise money for a film or more the creative side? And not only that, but what are the five common mistakes that he sees project creators making uh, when it comes to, to either Kickstarter or Indiegogo? So it's just a really cool interview. Um, where, you know, this is a guy who speaks my language, and so we really get into crowdfunding itself, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I really loved it. We had to cut the interview short, or else I think I could have spoken to him for like eight straight hours about crowdfunding, but there was an opportunity to bring him into the show at a later date, so I'm just really excited to, to get this started. If you're new to the show, we want to send you some top episodes as well as our crowdfunding toolkit, which is loaded with information to help you validate your idea before you launch, build an audience, and make sure that you have something that will be successful on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. So go to crowdfundinguncut.com and sign up. Hey, thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software tool that helps you manage and fulfill orders after your campaign is done. In the last few years, they've helped more than 1,900 project creators process more than 3.5 million orders for backers just like yours. Your job is hard enough without having to deal with surveys, fulfillment, orders, and upsells. What BackerKit does is help you focus on the most important thing, which is delivering beautiful products to your customers on time. So let them take care of the dirty work. You can find out more by heading to backerkit.com. Clay, finally, I get you on the phone. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, man. I, I think I spent months tracking you down. <laughs> first thinking, man, this guy really must hate me. He downloads my guide and then nothing. But then I realized I was emailing the wrong email address. And, yeah. And then <laughs> we got lost in LinkedIn messages, which is like the, the you know, the, you, YouTube God. comments and LinkedIn messages are like the basement of the internet, right? Yeah. I don't even do LinkedIn. Yeah, no. Like I remember... I tell people, sorry, I'm not very big on LinkedIn. Email me, and then they'll continue to reply to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. Did you not read what I said? <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. So, who gave you the name, the crowdfunding Sherpa? Was that you, or? I don't think I would call myself a Sherpa, but somebody may have at some point. I think uh, the words are interesting like that, like Sherpa, because it's better. I think it's better than guru or anything like that, because who calls himself a guru? <laughs> but Sherpa. Some people know what it means like to guide somebody along that, but uh, okay. I think not enough people would know what Sherpa means to you know to use that as as your own brand. I when people ask what I do, um, I just say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. Yeah, so that's amazing. Like I'm dying to know how you got to raise fifty million dollars and advise startups. Um, but why don't we just start from? beginning like I want to know uh, how how you got into crowdfunding to begin sure. with because that's pretty sure cool. absolutely like so yeah. I'll back up a little bit before that uh mm -hmm. so I spent 10 years doing corporate consulting at Accenture doing it was 
it was fine for a career 1.0, uh, working with really smart people, working really hard, et cetera. But about six or seven years into it, I discovered Seth Godin's work and yeah. tried to bring that kind of innovative thinking inside of this huge you know, aircraft area of a corporation and they weren't too into it. So in 2008, 2009, I got a chance to sort of leave Accenture and study for six months with Seth Godin. So that really wow. helped me jump in the deep end of marketing and entrepreneurship and creativity and um, was fortunate enough to just sit at a table with Seth Godin and eight people for six months, which was just mind blowing. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, so after that, I, <laughs> it was amazing. And so right after that, I said goodbye to my decade-long uh, six-figure salary and, and uh, you know, uh, corporate consulting career to start completely from scratch and have no clients and no customers and no revenue and sort of hit Control-Alt-Delete on my career and started over, hung out a shingle, um, started helping initially authors and then smaller companies and then medium-sized companies and then bigger companies with marketing and digital social and understanding. So I'm wondering, because yeah. I'm just dying to know, how did you get involved with Seth Godin? So that's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. So I was, um, I was always into learning. I was always into um, reading and learning. And I was always into the concept of entrepreneurship. There's a picture from when I'm young, maybe we can link it up in the show notes. My, br my mm -hmm. brothers and I were, you know, for the 20 minutes of our youth that we weren't fighting. We, we created a band in the basement and my brother was on drums. My other brother was on guitar. And I decided to haul a desk on stage to be like P Diddy, like making the band. I wasn't the bassist. I said, I'm going to book you guys gigs. You know, the phone wasn't even plugged in and that kind of thing. So I had an interest yeah. in entrepreneurship from young, but, but in 2000, um, I graduated college in 99 and mm -hmm. I was interested in entrepreneurship and I went to school for business, but I didn't want to be an entrepreneur in 1999, right out of the gate. So I went to work for Accenture, flying on a plane through O'Hare in 2003, was reading a business book, finished it, needed another book to read on the next leg of my flight. They were calling my name and I went into the bookstore and there's this weird looking little purple book and I was in a hurry. So I grabbed it and it was Purple Cow by Seth Godin. And it crawled into my head and blew my brain out like a Tarantino movie as like, there's a totally different way to think about marketing and business and innovation and I, I was just like I think I read it twice on that flight and then um, went home subscribed to Seth's blog b bought his other books went down the rabbit hole found um, Naked Conversations Clue Train Manifesto mm -hmm. all these other books about the early stages of blogging there were even forums before blogs were even popular people were talking about how forums were changing the web and changing customers and then for three or four or five tried to bring that thinking and they yeah, they, they didn't really hear it. So that's kind of Seth. And then when when he he wrote a blog post at the end of 2008 called "If You Could Change Your Life, Would You?" And I was trying very hard at my time at the time to change my life. As in, I knew I wanted to do marketing in entrepreneurship and creativity, and I was trying to do that. But inside my company of 400,000 people, that wasn't super uh, welcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I was, I was helping uh, clients with marketing and then the phone rang and it was a friend of a former client and her Kickstarter campaign was was live. This was January of 2012. And she said, I heard you're the marketing guy. Um, do you know anything about Kickstarter? I'm just a filmmaker. And I love Kickstarter. I'd kind of been been seeing it and watching it. I had run a campaign myself. And, and I said, well, you know, how have you promoted your campaign? And she said, well, I, I haven't really. I don't really know how to do marketing. And it was a very specific, as you know, like the best best campaigns are, a very specific campaign with a very specific customer. It was called mm -hmm. Gold Star Children. And it was a film, a documentary that she was making about connecting her generation with the current generation. So Gold Star Children are children who've lost parents in, in Iraq, you know, in the war. And she, she lost her father in Vietnam. So she was making a documentary about uh, connecting her generation with the kids who are losing parents in the current conflicts. And amazing thing, it was already live, which, as you know, is not the best time to jump in and, and fix these. Uh, but it was a small goal. And I said, how do you promote it? Her her ideal tribe and her ideal customers were military families, obviously, for this documentary. So all we had to do was find the right pockets and sub-tribes of military families to get the film in front of and then, and then help her get it funded. And yeah. I was just told another friend over a basketball game a week later, and he said, oh, my friend Slim is launching a book on Kickstarter soon. <laughs> and as you know, word of mouth and people soon and pretty soon uh, helped a whole bunch of projects and, and people started to That's crazy. call me. Wow. And you, so at that point, you were 
starting to consult. I, I know in my journey, like I'm only a year into sure. it, but I'm still trying to map out what my consulting looks like. Yep. So did you know you wanted to niche into crowdfunding or how long did that take you? It didn't, it wasn't a super proactive choice. And unlike, unlike leaving Accenture, doing the Seth Godin program for six months and then starting the marketing consulting, that was a total total pivot to, to use my, my friend Jenny Blake's term. Um, this wasn't so much a pivot because as you know, good crowdfunding is just good marketing. And what I was doing during the day was good marketing. So whether it was applying storytelling, pricing, scarcity, urgency, copywriting to, to my corporate clients, that was one thing to apply it to crowdfunding was not that much of a shift. It was just kind of a different package, different outcome. Um, yep. And then by doing it, you know, I learned the nuances, certainly some mistakes early on, figuring out, um, you know, how tightly you have to focus, how to craft an effective campaign, the, the pre-launch marketing. But, you know, one of the biggest things I talk about in crowdfunding is that crowdfunding campaigns get funded before they launch, not while they're live. And that is a direct derivative from Seth Godin's permission marketing, which is building the ability to deliver personal, anticipated and relevant messages to people who want to hear them. And then I just took that and applied it to crowdfunding and showed people how, if they have this idea, you know, who's your customer, where do they hang out? How do you build permission with them ahead of time? Sometimes that could be a landing page, but you got to build permission and you got to build the platform. And then I like to say mm -hmm. launching a campaign, that should be like popping a balloon, not like throwing a Hail Mary and hoping that people find you, right? The plan, as you know, the platform yeah. is not going to bring you your people. You should find your people ahead of time. You say that so much better than me. <laughs> I'm sure you say <laughs> the exact same thing. Well, in like a really <laughs> weird roundabout, I just released a video that like talks about this, but I'm like, man, just should have had you script it. But <laughs> no, but it's exactly that. Cause how many people do you get send you their campaigns now after they've launched to say help it's seven days in and we're dead. Yep. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot like, you know, I'm sure Ryan holiday gets people saying, I heard you're the guy to make my book a New York Times bestseller. Oh, when do you launch next week? You know, that it's too late. It, it's literally yeah. too late. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, there's not much difference between a week before the day of or a week into it. You need to start, as you know, six months ahead of time. One, yeah. yeah. So when do people bring you in to the business? Like, yeah. are you as far out as possible or, so or what? I've sort of changed the, the offerings that I have and the way I work. And so one thing that, uh, sometimes I say like, let all the mistakes I've made be the torches that light the way because, uh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. you learn this stuff by doing it. And I've learned a lot by making mistakes. And one of those mistakes was the offering model for this, right? There's lots of people doing lots of different things from, you know, free content, which I totally believe in. And you and I both publish a lot of free content to, yeah. uh, you know, there's eBooks and there's online courses and everything else. And then there's the consulting side. Consulting, one of the things I learned from from Seth and, and you know, Zig Ziglar and others is it's helpful to sell to people who have money. And even better if they know you, like you, trust you, and they've bought something exactly like that before. So it's easier to sell someone their fifth car than their first car, right? You have to get in some 16-year-old or 17-year-old, that's a harder sale than you know you who's going to walk into the dealership and be like, I know what I want and pick it out and buy it because buying a car yeah. is not a big deal. Same with the house, same with anything. Um most people doing crowdfunding have never bought crowdfunding services before. So it's the first time they're buying that thing. And secondly, almost by the definition of crowdfunding, they don't necessarily have a lot of money. So that, that is, yeah. it's maybe, even though it's a, a wildly growing industry uh, by all other aspects of definition of the customer, it's maybe not the ideal customer. Somebody who doesn't have money, who's never bought what you're about to sell them is not a great place to start. So that's one reason it took yeah. me a while to figure out the right offerings. Um, I believe that people should learn how to do crowdfunding, whether they take an online course, hire a consultant or do like, a, so I offer these workshops that are kind of these intensive, you know, everybody get together in the same room and crank it out. Right. Um, yeah. No matter what you do, the, the, the words that I hate to, the emails that, that sort of turn me off are the ones that I get and they said, I'm just really busy running the business. Can you just do my crowdfunding campaign for me? And my response to them, which I've, I've taken a while to craft a firm, maybe a little bit sarcastic, uh, but direct response is running your own crowdfunding campaign is like getting an MBA. I was fortunate enough to get an MBA from Seth Godin. Running your own crowdfunding campaign is like getting a specific MBA in your own business. So why in the world would you outsource that to somebody else? 
unless you're going to yeah. partner with them and really learn it. If, if you want to hire a consultant like you or me or whatever and help, you know, learn how to tell your story, learn who your customer is and, and learn along the way and treat it like the, the MBA in your own in marketing that it is, that's fine. But please, you know, anyone listening, do not just say, you know what, I'm going to cut a check and someone's going to deliver me a funded crowdfunding campaign because more than the money, you're missing out on what's probably the best educational marketing opportunity, your own business in, in the entire oh, yeah. world, you know? And the way like I, well, my base packages, I have the management and then I have just the one-off advising yep. and I won't even touch management if the founder doesn't take a proactive role in the business, right. have resources for, cause they need a budget to spend. So they need to show they're resourceful with government grants or whatever, and have an amazing product that I think there's a niche for it. Right. Um, but you're right. It's almost like if they're not willing to put in the hard work, they don't really care about the business and they don't really care about the losses. And to me, I see crowdfunding as a way with at least physical products where I work in as a way to launch an online business. And mm -hmm. if you're not there to, it's like you're abandoning your child, you know, yeah. you miss out on the most critical early parts. Why even, why even do it? Yeah, exactly. If, if you already know, it's just the ultimate way to learn how to market your product and your campaign. And, and the worst thing is when people say, I'm too busy running the business. I'm like, what's more core to the business than marketing? Marketing is everything. Marketing touches every aspect. And if yeah. if you're already good at marketing, as in you're like, you know what? I have this handled. Well, then running your own crowdfunding campaign should be, should be easy, right? Like mm -hmm. Seth Godin didn't need any help when he launched his Kickstarter. He he crafted it and, uh, you know, but He's someone who who knows marketing, so he didn't need to, you know, hire a consultant. And he, and he was funded, you know, the second it, it went up, right? If you have that kind of business, yeah. then it's fine. Then you don't need a consultant. That's why this concept of of completely outsourcing it, not partnering with somebody, doesn't doesn't make sense. So it took me too lo longer than it should have to to figure that out. And then I've created, you know, the online course model. And then I, I kind of go that way or the deep workshops if they have. The budget and the, and there's enough time between when we do it and when we launch. I really enjoy the model where we do a call like this, like a like a video call, um, to tee up the the in person workshop. And then I, I'm in my element when I'm I'm teaching on a whiteboard and drawing and strategizing and frameworks and copy and that kind of stuff. And so I love getting the client and and their whole team. That's that's one benefit of that offering is they can bring the whole team. So I just did this with a company in Brooklyn called Chess at Three. Really cool company. They teach kids as young as three years old how to play chess because they figured out how to teach chess using stories that are hilarious. Wow! So they're creating okay. um, a book and a kind of chess set where the the pieces in the chess set align to the stories that they tell to teach these kids. Really neat company. And the best thing to do was they were like, "We honestly don't have time to take this multi-week, multi-month online course, but we can hit the pause button and get everybody in the room at the same time." So I went to Brooklyn taught them, filled up the whiteboard as fast as I can talk and as fast as they can take notes. We recorded the whole thing. And that's just a really nice model because it's kind of accelerated. It's definitely a lot more expensive than like an online course because it's high touch and it's in person. Mm -hmm. But that that works really well. And I've done that a bunch of times. So it's kind of like I went away from the middle model into the um, free content, the online course, and then super high touch uh, workshops that don't sort of drag on and on. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, now you've been on several campaigns. I'm wondering, do you have a favorite you've worked on? Yeah, my favorite one, just because it's a really, it's a fun story and it's an interesting and a neat product, but it's also educational. And I know that's what a lot of your listeners uh, are looking for. So Lee Miller yeah. came to me um, when I was living in New York. He was in New York as well. Um, he came to me and he said, this is what I'm doing. Uh, he showed me the product. It's called Kittyo, K-I-T-T-Y-O. Really neat products. Yes, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So you'll—I don't even know if you know the story, but so you'll—you'll you'll laugh. Lee, Lee came to me. Yeah. We had—I said, if you're willing to come all the way to the West Side, you know, Hell's Kitchen, where New Yorkers, you know, pretend like they don't like to go. Uh, we had coffee, mm -hmm. and he showed me the, the mock-up, and I was like, "Yeah, that's the kind of thing that could do really well in crowd." He's like, "Will this succeed on Kickstarter?" And as you know, the answer to that is it depends on what else you do. And so I said, "It, it could. It's the kind of thing that could." Um, and then I said, I was sort of out ahead of my headlights and hadn't asked him the right questions. I said, uh, so Lee, how many emails do you have? And he kind of looks at me funny and he says two. 
I said, two, how do you have only two emails? Like I was thinking maybe he launched his landing page that morning or whatever. And I was like, how do you have two emails? He said, I use one for work and one for personal. I was like, oh no, not your emails. The emails of the people, like, the permission. Yeah. Your list. Your list. Like, yeah. Literally was like, what do you mean list? What's a list? What's a landing page? And then I realized his expertise was in branding and, and creating this really high-end mock-up of the product. So I explained to him what a landing page was. And then he signed on his client. We worked together and built this, this amazing landing page. Uh, and, and it was funny because like the first version that he came back with was a mile tall. The opt-in was way at the bottom, 97 cat, <laughs> cat puns. It was like branded and beautiful, but like everything was wrong with it. And so I said, okay, you get one cat pun, spend it wisely. And the headline, we simplified the headline to play with your cat, even when you're not home, just that simple, which he initially thought that was too simple. But one of the things that I teach, and I'm sure you teach is, you know, simple, clear benefit of what it is. So we, we tested until that page converted at 40%. And then in six months, uh, he promoted it in the, in the right places in the super niche, the people who care about a $200 device to play with their cats when they're not home. Uh, sites like house Panther, which is one of my favorite niche sites, unless you're a cat, you know, it's designed within reach for cat freaks. Like the, the tagline for house Panther is, the premier online magazine for design conscious cat people. So that's where those people hang out. And there's only, maybe it has 50,000 uniques a month. So it's like, it's like a big blog, but it's not a big media site, but everyone there wants Kitty, right? Wants the unit. So he did a giveaway and got 2000 emails in a weekend of, of that thing. And then did that a bunch of times with different sites and Facebook and this and that. And in six months, yeah. there were 13,000 emails of people who raised their hands, saw the Kitty, wanted it. And then when he launched, it was like, you know, like the best campaigns, it's like popping a balloon he launched to the tribe, didn't launch and then hope that the platform brought him the tribe. And he was funded in 36 minutes, 200% funded on the first day and raised over, I think, 170, $270,000. Um, yeah, it was fun. That's I was really awesome. It was really fun because I was giving a talk to in Manhattan to the Manhattan, Manhattan Inventors Association the evening of Lee's launch. It just happened that the dates coincided. And so here's a room full mm -hmm. of 200 you know, self-defined, self-described inventors in Manhattan. And here's this guy who's a straight up inventor who launched that morning. So it was fun watching everybody, you know, take notes because the, the campaign was 12 hours old and they were like watching the dollars crank up. So, Oh my God. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I saw your blog on the Kitty O landing page. Yeah, that's a, that was a fun one. Yeah. So yeah, that was really good. Whenever, um, yeah, sometimes when I'm like, I need a good idea, like a good understanding of what a landing page is to show someone like what you're not supposed to do. I'm like, hmm, yeah, go to this one. <laughs> yeah, there are uh, early versions of that where I, yeah, I, I kind of gave him a budget. I get, you get one cat pun and the headline's going to be a lot simpler and the opt-in's going to be above the fold. And he, he had great design and branding, like the hero image and stuff was was rock solid. So it only took maybe a week and a half, two weeks to get to that landing page. Like shifting some stuff yeah, around. Exactly. So I'm, I'm curious, um, with a giveaway, yeah. did you run into problems if, wait, no, first backtrack sure. of it. With the giveaway, were you giving away the physical product or something else? Because you may not have had the physical product pre-launch. Yeah, so he did a giveaway with the House Panther and it was enter to win a Kitty-O unit when it was produced. So the, the winner got one eventually, Great. but yeah, you're right. There's, okay. there's often a gap, especially as you know, hardware is hard and the gap between um, yeah. promise and delivery. So one thing I noticed by going through some of your campaigns is you do uh, physical products, but you also do causes or the creative side with like theater productions and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, do you do you notice a difference in promotion between a physical product and cause based? Yeah, definitely. And and one thing, one of the biggest mistakes that I see, and I'm sure you see this as well, is when people conflate crowdfunding with fundraising, or said another way, conflating rewards-based crowdfunding with donation-based crowdfunding. They they mm -hmm. think that because there's this aspect of fundraising that if they write a book that they should charge $20. And my argument is I can go get Seth Godin, any book he's ever written for $9.99 and I can get brand new Malcolm Gladwell for $11.99. So why would I pay 20 for a stranger's PDF, right? And so I have this concept yeah. called below MSRP and I challenge creators to think about What's the MSRP for what you're offering? If it's a download of a movie, um, we don't even really pay for individual movie downloads anymore, maybe on iTunes. Um, so it's $5 maybe. Yeah, exactly, yeah. $5. But it's digital. Once it, You're going to make it anyway. Once it's made, the 
the backer, you know, we always see this $10, you know, expensive thank you is what I call it. One of the reward levels you should avoid is it's kind of a slap on the face. Like you've done the hard work to identify the tribe. Maybe you got them to click on a blog or a Facebook ad or something. You got them to your page. They watched your video. They're that far down the funnel. And then the first thing you're going to offer them for $10 is essentially not only nothing, but like we'll tweet your name from our Twitter account that we haven't set up yet. Like who cares? Nobody wakes up in the morning wanting that. Instead, say for $1 for the lowest amount that Kickstarter can even allow me to charge you, I'm going to give you either a PDF or a video series or a digital pack or wallpapers and any number of relevant creative things. So even with the the creative projects where it's maybe um, less about a tangible physical product like Kiddio, I challenge them to say, what digital rewards can you come up with that will be interesting and relevant and valuable to the people that are going to back you? Because th that mindset shift, that and, and it usually clicks right away, um, people realizing that, hey, this isn't like, give me money and maybe I'll give you some stuff. This is you're here before anyone else. You're trusting in me before the art is created. Therefore, I'm going to give you a, st a steal, a super good deal. And if you see like on Seth Godin's Kickstarter or AJ Leon or any of these, you know, we crafted it to be um, a tiny, like like below MSRP. So you get, you know, all these things for only $22 and, and it's worth way more than $22. That's the way to increase conversion. Yeah. Um, yeah. As yeah, I mean the thing too I noticed about uh, say it's a theater production you're raising money for or yeah something that's physical based. Have you had any success with if it's a theater production? We're just gonna say and they yeah. will sell tickets for pre-screening, but it's something physical. You have to physically be in LA to get this. Have you seen any good rewards packages to not limit themselves so much because their space? Like they're physically present, yeah, if you and, know what I mean. And I think that that's great. Like, yeah. Um, and, and it's really just thinking through logically how we buy things, right? I have never, I've been to movie premieres in LA, but it was because I was already in LA and a friend of mine said, Hey, I have ticket free tickets to this premiere. I'm like, Oh, cool. That's awesome. That'll be fun. I have never bought tickets to mm -hmm. a premiere while I live in New York and flown myself with my own money to LA to see a movie like most people don't do that and yet you see it as Kickstarter reward level offerings all the time they're like hey somebody might want that and so a, a simple little thing I push back on creators is have you ever have you ever done that have you ever gotten on a plane and flown to another city and and gone to you know paid to fly to Miami to go to a movie premiere they're like well no I haven't but then if you if you never have maybe other people won't either so then you go into like you said very localized targeted marketing how can you partner with with groups and tribes and things like that that are in the city where the premiere is and then for the people that are not there mm -hmm. it's so easy just create something something digital it can be uh, a signed version a signed pdf version of the script and then offer it for like three dollars offer it super cheap because if someone's like yeah you know what that's cool i'm not going to get on a plane to la but they're all going to sign the script and scan it in and then i get that or director's cut i mean so much of all that stuff is can be there can be a digital version whether that's film or pdf or audio or a skype with the creator you know they get to talk to the actor and things like that so it's worth getting the team together to brainstorm yeah. what can be just digital and if it's just digital you can deliver it obviously anywhere in the world by the way this episode brought to you by Backerkit. it's a crowdfunding fulfillment software tool so if you are looking to focus your effort on making sure your backers get their products on time and not have to deal with the nasty administration once your campaign is over you should really check them out um they're one of the leading guys in the industry for it they've um, helped close to two thousand project creators deliver um orders to more than like 3.5 million backers so head over to backerkit.com to um to check them out but yeah that's really good. Rocks. Um, I did have yeah. a question. Like, you, I came across your work a because people kept finding out what I did and saying, "Have you heard of Clay Hebert before?" I'm like, "No," but now I do. And then, like, the more I direct people to the Tim Ferriss blog with the hacking yeah. Kickstarter hub through Soma, um, your name came up as like a Kickstarter expert. And I'm like, Tim is a um like an idol of mine, kind of, I really look up to him. He's the whole reason I cool. got into what I'm doing. So I wonder like, how did yeah. you meet him? And how did yeah, that whole so thing when I, um, 
once I discovered Seth Godin's work and kind of went down the rabbit hole, then I was buying all those kinds of books in, you know, from 2003 to 2008 or nine. And the four hour work week was one of those books that came across my radar when I was, I was kind of doing my day job during the day and then exploring this other world at night. And so I read the four hour work week. Um, and I think I got the audio as well and listened to that. And then, um, I was at summit series summit at sea in 2011. And one of my sort of things that I do, I, I, lo I love to learn, like I said, and I have no shame and no ego about wanting to learn. So one of the things that I do is if I'm speaking at an event, this doesn't always apply. If I'm attending an event to learn, and this is a tip for everyone listening, okay. sit in the front row. And so uh, I wrote a post on Medium called The Best Conference Hack. And it's simply sit in the front row. And the example that I say is I was at Summit Series and there's, you know, at any given time, there were 30 different rooms with different meetings and presentations. And so I was going to one of these little workshops. It was in a little room on the boat. And I sat in the front row. It was Tony Conrad presenting on something or other. And Tim Ferriss sat right next to me. And I didn't know that sitting in the front row was something that he did. But everyone fills in from the back, right? Because we get taught from a young age to, you know, not stick out, not stick your head out, not be so visible. And so I'm like, no. Yep. Yeah. I so want keen. the speaker to see me if I raise my hand. I want to be able to hear them and take the best notes. There's all sorts of reasons to sit in the front row. And so Tim plopped right down next to me. And, and we started chatting and I told him I love this stuff and always try to support him, uh, you know, by buying, buying his books. I, I think the work that he does is amazing. I think his podcast is literally one of the top, maybe it, it's my favorite. It's the podcast that I listen to the most because it's such interesting people. Tim has really come into his own with being an interviewer. I think the progress from his first podcast to now. And what's interesting is, I mean, he's so smart and who, who would have ever thought that he'd have a better you know, communication medium than his blog. But I think with his podcast, he's just, it's been fun to watch him, uh, you know, evolve. So evolved, well. I mean, he started, he was right? very good when he started, yeah. but now it's kind of funny. I think one of his uh, biggest skills in podcasting is his restraint. He, you know, when John Favreau or, or Kevin Kelly is riffing and going on and on and on, Tim has the patience to not, you know, for the most part, inter interrupt or interject, and then you just get the best stuff because people just go on and on and on. So, yeah, so that's how I, I connected with him. I sat in the front row, and he plopped down next to me, and we chatted, and um, yeah, I just tried to keep in touch. One time, he was in New York for, um, he was writing the Four Hour Body. No, he was writing the Four Hour Chef, and from the Four Hour Body, I had a, I had bought the little electronic device called body metrics that measures like your muscle and your body fat. And oh, yeah. I had, I bought that and um, he was actually in New York and he, he shot me a, a email or, or a text or something. He was like, I'm in New York. Do you, do you have that thing? Cause he, he had forgotten his and he didn't bring it. So I, I dashed and brought it down to him where he was, he was doing something with Melcher media with his four hour chef book, but yeah, no, super great guy. Mm -hmm. And, and just the content that he just puts out, I think uh, having, gone to business school and and knowing pretty well what's in an MBA curriculum, um, I would say his podcast alone is so much better and more rich than sort of an MBA as far as actual knowledge, right? You're not going to get the, the sheepskin that you may want to go to Harvard, but as far as actually learning, just his podcast alone has so much um, deep information. So yeah, that's, that's how we met. I'm a huge, huge fan, honored to be uh, connected with him. And I'm assuming you helped him with the SOMA project. So Soma wasn't his, or, it was Mike Del Ponte. Um, and that's, yeah, so that whole oh. post, yep. Yeah, yeah so Soma, he does, he does advise yeah. them. Um, and I helped Mike a little bit, but Mike is a little bit like Seth Godin. He did not need a lot of help. Mike's a great marketer, but I helped him a little bit when when he was uh, going to launch Soma on Kickstarter. A few people said, hey, you should talk to Clay. And he reached out and we had, we had maybe like two, maybe 45 minute phone calls. So it wasn't like I was a hardcore consultant right. on the project, but I told him these things and as you know, when you're working with really smart marketers, it's really just, you know, violently agreeing with each other for an hour and being like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I showed Mike the Bitly link and how you can track your Bitly traffic and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you can move a lot faster with people who sort of are, are already good marketers. Yeah, fair enough. Um, now, in terms of I'm going to ask you two sure. things. The first one I would like to get into is you obviously in crowdfunding, you make mistakes and I'm wondering what the biggest mistake is that you have either done yourself or you've seen other people make outside of launching with no audience sure. and what that is. Yeah. I mean, so I did a podcast, a guest podcast 
on the $100 MBA, my friend Omar Zenholm's show called The Five Biggest Crowdfunding Mistakes that I see often. And like you hinted at, uh, launching without a tribe is, is the biggest and most obvious one. Because if you do that, if you, you know, Kidio could have had not the best video, they could have had uh, not the best reward levels. And if you have a passionate tribe who wants your thing, as you know, that will gloss over a lot of other problems or issues. It's a little bit like in a startup, if you have, you know, users and revenue and profit, that can be the paint that glosses mm -hmm. over a lot of other things. Um, so not launching without a tribe, number one. Number two, I would say the biggest mistake I see is, again, pricing above MSRP, $20 for my ebook as an unknown author, as opposed to half the price of Seth Godin, you shouldn't be twice the price of Seth Godin, right? So figuring out the equivalent MSRP, yeah. creating digital rewards that cost you nothing to fulfill, and then giving it as much value as possible. So pricing rewards, um, too many reward levels, maybe not the biggest mistake, but I see that people, they, they, they think that more reward levels equals more money. I think with Kidio, we did have like a little $1 level for people who didn't want the device. But other than that, the only reward level yeah. was the device. It was super early bird, early bird, and then regular Kickstarter price, which again was still well below MSRP. He knew what it would be in the store afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was 199 full retail. And so Kickstarter was 99 super early bird, 119 early bird and 129 on Kickstarter, still like $70 below. And I think right. that kind of tiered system. So uh, I guess the mistake is charging too much or having basically irrelevant or uninteresting or too expensive perk levels. Um, next biggest mistake is the video being too long. Um, I tell people yeah. two minutes or less, and you have to sell me if you want it to be more than two minutes. And if you don't think you can make a great video in two minutes, because everyone says, oh, but my story, and I have to make sure to say this and that. And then you, I show them, I just yeah. Jake Bronstein's videos because uh, they're all like 157, 156, 158. There's no magic in that particular number. It's just that he's able to tell an amazing, craft an amazing story. You can talk quickly. Video is a great medium where you can show certain images while you're talking about other things, right? And so there's no magic about under two minutes, but it's a good thing to shoot for where if they make a banging video that's 228, that's fine. But what I see often is, you know, mm -hmm. five minutes and six minutes. And we all know that most of us don't watch videos on the internet that are longer than that, unless it's, you know, an interview or whatever. Um, and so yeah. you got to keep it moving because nobody backs until they finish watching your video. So let them finish watching your video soon. And then one thing I teach people is if you have things that are absolutely critical, they don't have to hit the cutting room floor. The cutting room floor can be other videos down below the description. So one of my favorite campaigns I worked on was called yeah. Jewel Bots. Um, with uh, a startup out of New York City, uh, two young women, Sarah Chips and Brooke Moreland, made a really cool product called Jewelbots, friendship bracelets that teach girls how to code. So imagine being in seventh or eighth grade and you know having these friendship bracelets that then you can use your phone and code an Arduino and make it buzz if you get an Instagram like and things like that. Um, yeah, it's such a cool product and yeah. they're super cool female founders in, in New York and then tech scene. Um, and they had a great testimonial from Bill Nye, the science guy, and they had a really great video with cool production and everything else, but it was like three and a half, four minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I, I told them, I said, I really think you got to keep it short, even though it's great. Like there was nothing wrong with their video other than it being too long. And so I said, how can you tighten this up? So we cut pieces out of it and they moved it down below and they made the top video under two minutes. It was nice. And she I think it was like one thirty or one forty. Then the testimonial with Bill Nye, the science guy, because you can see the thumbnail, like you can see Bill Nye there. And then you're like, oh, I, I know what that is, whether I click play on it or not. Yeah. And then the kind of cooler, deeper, more um, interesting version of the video was down below in their campaign. So you got to keep that main campaign video short. So those are those are three of the biggest ones is no tribe, either irrelevant or, or overpriced, you know, above MSRP perks um, and, the, and then the video. Right. And um, are you familiar with Ravian, the down cooling jacket? So. Uh, it's a down filled jacket that is um, oh, cool. I can't explain anything <laughs> right now, but uh, they raised like 1.3 million. And one of my favorite uses of multiple videos was they didn't, you know, in tech campaigns, people have concerns. And so what they did was um, they proved that the thing was waterproof because they have, you know, device storage and all this. They proved it was waterproof by 
the founder thing on the jacket and then jumping in a pool multiple times with it with like devices oh, all cool. through it and then he would pull the devices out and say yeah that's it still great. works yeah my friends uh yeah i helped but... my friends doug and jimmy with manal that's one of my other favorite campaigns other than uh other than kiddio uh because they've just become really good friends yeah. created a, a backpack uh they, they created the scratch their own niche like a lot of great crowdfunding products built the product that they wanted and to your point like they, they were super great at making the video. And one of the pieces was the waterproof rain cover. And they had like a big like fire, fireman's hose and oh, yeah. the dog holding up the thing and showing how waterproof it was. So yeah, it's like, have, have fun with your video. Yeah, oh, I love that. So we got the five mistakes yeah. that people need to watch out for. I've actually taken some cool. notes on that mentally. But um, what is the top thing that you see creators doing really well that should be done more of? Um, Focusing, focusing on super niche. I mean, this gets talked about often in, in marketing and internet marketing circles, but it doesn't get executed very well, uh, which is defining your customer avatar, right? It's Jessica, she's 31 years mm -hmm. old. She lives in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. She works for this ad agency. She reads Refinery29. She she reads Monocle Magazine. She, uh, you know, like super, super specifically defined one person. And to go back to, to, go back to Tim Ferriss, Years ago, I don't know that he still thinks about this all the time, but when he was growing his blog, he wrote for one specific person and he had this fake avatar. Joe is 32 years old, former D2 college athlete, used to have a six pack. Now he's a little bit overweight, wants to date more. Da, 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 like, And so he wrote full one. Yeah, and he, he wrote specifically for that person. And then, as you know, um, when you focus on that person, you get the ripples in the pond and other people, people like you find Tim Ferriss, even though you look nothing like his his avatar because he writes for that. Our problem is we try to reach everyone and we dilute our message. And so um, one thing, when, when people do it really well, you got to find your house Panther. You got to find your version of house Panther, right? The premier online magazine for design conscious cat people who even knew that site existed. Right. And that is where he got 2000 <laughs> so emails in a weekend because everyone there, I mean, that's my biggest uh, as far as what people do when they succeed Manal was not trying to reach everyone. They weren't trying to get the the business traveler who travels with Accenture and pulls the roller bag. They weren't trying to get him to switch to Manal. Yeah. They were reaching digital nomads like themselves and they raised a million dollars over two campaigns because they focused super specifically on who they're trying to reach. So the, the tip would be ignore everyone. And I say, bad news is 99.9% .9 of people do not care about your crowdfunding project. And then I tell them that's actually not bad news. That's great news. Cause now, you know, you can ignore 99.9% .9 of people go find those 0.1% and they live at sites like house Panther, if you're Kitio or certain sites, if you're Manal. So figure out your avatar and go that. deep and go niche and go bottom up. Like everyone goes top down. Like, Oh, I want to get covered in this press and this and that. No, start with an Excel list and you should pretty much pretend like you're building it from the bottom up. Once you have a thousand names, if you have mm -hmm. a thousand people, that's, that's pretty much all you need for most crowdfunding campaigns. If, if it's $50,000 you're trying to raise and you get your average backer contribution to $50, a thousand people and you're done. So when it's such a mindset yeah. flip because when the press talks about these things, we think about it top down and how do we get it in these big, huge press uh, outlets, which have a value, but not the value that, that people think they do. Um, and, and think bottom up, think like, who are my thousand people that care? Yeah. It's why yep. you got to start focused Yeah, as well. So one of my last yep. couple questions, the first one is, um, do you Indiegogo or Kickstarter and why? So the answer is not a sexy one. It depends. Uh, the analogy that I use is, I um, let's say you have a friend. I don't know your friend, but let's say you're, you're in London right now. You're planning, uh, your birthday party mm -hmm. for your best friend. Now, one option is a bar that has the best DJ spinning the best club music and thumping music and vodka Red Bulls and neon and dance until five in the morning and sweating, all that stuff. The other option is a really cool, you know, let's say Irish pub with, uh, you know, a guitar player and sawdust on the floor and Guinness and Jameson and the whole Irish vibe. Now, which bar is mm -hmm. the one that's right for your friend's birthday party? I don't know. I'm sure your friend would really prefer one over the other, but it depends on who your friend is. And so with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, I tell people without with knowing nothing else, it's impossible 
to answer that, it depends. First of all, yeah. does is it a fit for Kickstarter? Uh, certain things are allowed on Indiegogo that are not allowed on Kickstarter. If it's uh, you know any sort of health or supplement or a pill, there's certain obviously requirements. So when people ask that, what they're really asking is which platform is going to help my campaign succeed. And so then I say, okay, go to the next step for that. First of all, to succeed, it needs to be allowed on that platform. So I'm always surprised when people don't mm -hmm. read the basic, you know, what's allowed, fine print. Fine print. Yeah, read the fine print. Oh, that doesn't work for Kickstarter. Um, so then once it's allowed, then look and say, do, do the research. Find 10 other campaigns in your category and ideally subcategory and say, how did they do? Does, does the thing that I'm making perform, seem to perform better on Kickstarter or perform better on Indiegogo? So that can, that can be 10 minutes of basic self-research and then decide how much you're going to use certain tools. So Indiegogo is much more advanced with things like affiliate links and contests and allows you to say, oh, Kirsten sent me a hundred clicks and 50 backers and $2,500. And so therefore I can run a contest and reward people like that. Kickstarter is hard to do that. There's ways to use other plugins like Kickbooster and things. Uh, to do that, yeah. but it's just not as built into the platform as it is with Indiegogo. So Blue Smart Suitcase, they ran a really cool contest where even if you didn't buy one, if you got five people to buy one, you you won essentially a Blue Smart Suitcase, like an affiliate thing. So if you're an advanced internet marketer mm -hmm. and you understand affiliates and you want to run a program, that might be a ping pong ball in the bucket of choosing Indiegogo. So it's really this big uh, sort yeah. of side by side thing. I'm sort of working on a big epic blog post about that choice because everyone asks that question and the answer is never as, as simple as, as people always say. Yeah. What I really like is Indiegogo gives you um, ownership over your email addresses yeah. immediately. And so if you know how to use that, like with uh, Taplock, my second campaign, we made assumptions on our demographic, but then tested those assumptions as soon yeah. as we had enough data. And we realized like, oh, who we were targeting was we thought it was 60, 40 male, female, but it was actually 90% oh, um, males that sure, were buying sure. our product. And so we shifted everything. Um, if we were on Kickstarter, we could right, not yeah, have done Yeah, Kickstarter, that. you don't get the emails until after, you're right. So, yeah. Exactly. But it's like, you're right, campaign yeah. specific. Um, and, and that's another reason to, so. you know, do so much more with the landing page. Like with, <clears throat> with Lee Miller, if he would have gotten those 13,000 emails and understood his demographics, you know, you can learn a lot before you launch, but you're right with Indiegogo getting those emails right away and then, you know, retargeting and custom audiences and all that other stuff. So the answer is it, it's a, it's a complex answer, you know, and, and I always tell people too, yeah, there's more traffic on Kickstarter, but that's a really dumb reason to, to choose it by itself. I'm not saying don't choose it, but mm -hmm. I always say choosing Kickstarter because it has more organic traffic is like choosing a wedding venue because they've sold more drinks than the other, other wedding venue in the history of the venue. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. No, this has been great. I think we could talk for like two, <laughs> two hours, but perhaps in the future, I bring you back. Yes, I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> Part two. Um, so two last questions. The first one is, do you have any famous last words for the audience? The gatekeepers are gone. You're more powerful than you think you are. Go and do it. I love that. Might steal that. Steal. I won't. And, um, no. And um, also, where can people like I didn't bring you on seeing no, you as competition right. like I see you as more of like someone I really want to learn from as well. And my audience can benefit from you. So it's just like get over your own ego. So in saying that, I want to help promote your stuff. Um, if people want to find out more about what you're working on, your blogs and um, workshops, like where yeah, can yeah, they go sure. for that? So the, the basic blog is crowdfundinghacks.com. And let's put I'll put some bonuses uh, for your listeners at let's do it at crowdfundinghacks.com slash uncut. Does that work for URL? Cool. Okay. Yep. That works. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well, just in case you guys say, don't know how to spell that or whatever, but yeah, well, this has been awesome. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. And, um, I'm going to go out for food awesome. in Have London. Fun. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast. Sorry. It took so long and, and, uh, for us to finally connect, but I had a blast. Thanks for doing that. And sorry for the microphone issues yeah same here you like speak my language i love <laughs> well, let's it let's get together sometime. <laughs> so sounds good yeah okay cool see you later okay hey thanks so much for listening to this episode what do you think of the content 
why don't you uh, let us know? Head over to iTunes, Crowdfunding Uncut, and leave an honest review. We're always looking for feedback, and not only that, but your reviews help us find other listeners. So if you're loving the content, um, we really, really love a review and appreciate that. Um, but in other news, did you know that about two weeks ago, uh, we just launched a YouTube channel? Yay! So on YouTube, you're going to find not only these interviews, but a weekly crowdfunding tips video. And I have so much content that I'm just, you know, excited to get out based on uh, your feedback. But go to YouTube Crowdfunding Uncut, and uh, link for that will be in the show notes. But uh, subscribe, and hey, if you're loving the content, or if you're not quite finding what you're looking for, let me know. You never know, your idea might, or a question might actually turn into a video. So, um... Apart from that, thank you so much for everything. Um, this show wouldn't be around if it weren't for you guys. So, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I guess we will see you next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.